Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse, host of RBC's ongoing conversation about disruption, innovation, and how technology is changing everything around us. When you think about the digital revolution, your mind may jump to Uber or Netflix, but farming? Isn't that what people do to escape the digital revolution? I'm old enough to remember the TV show Green Acres, and the image of farmers probably hasn't changed a whole lot since Fred Ziffel and the Douglases. Far from it. Farming and food production is the next frontier of innovation. There are already grain farms in Saskatchewan using autonomous tractors, and soybean farms in Ontario run on the blockchain, and aqua farms in the Maritimes that are wired to restaurants to tell diners about the catch of the day. The technology is amazing, but even more remarkable are the skills that will be needed to make it work. Pretty soon, farmers will need to know as much about drones and data analytics as they do about drilling fence posts. Today's episode is the first of a two-part series that looks at the disruption of agriculture and what kind of skills will be needed for a whole new generation of technology. This isn't about the rise of the robot. It's about the rise of Farmer 4.0, which is the name of a new report by RBC's Economics and Thought Leadership Group that looks at the future of Canadian farming and food production. We have everything the rest of the world needs. Land, water, financial capital, access to the richest markets. What we really need is a skills revolution at the farm gate. This may be our chance to catapult Canadian farming back to the forefront of global food innovation. It may also be our last best chance to help feed the world. Buckle up. The era of disruption is just beginning. Andrew Shrum is the head of research in RBC's Thought Leadership Group, which analyzes where economic policy is taking the country, and has just produced a report called Farmer 4.0. Andrew, Farmer 4.0, what are they? (laughs) We're headed to data. We're headed to autonomous machines. We're headed to an environment where the digital harvesting is as vibrant as the harvesting of food. We're seeing a revolution in who's taking these jobs. We're seeing a diversity of these skill sets and a revolution of educators in having to conceive, like, how do you train this next generation of farmers? So Farmer 4.0, to quote the report, is a data farmer. They've got to be data obsessed. They also have to be innovative, constantly looking for new ideas to change what they're producing, but more importantly, in many places, how they're producing it. Uh, It's interesting in the report that they've got to be more diverse, have different perspectives, work with different professions, different walks of life, and bring different kinds of people into, uh, into the farm and have a higher range of skills than probably we've ever seen in, in agriculture. This is going to be one of the most sophisticated sectors anywhere in the country. That's something we wanted to highlight in the report. Um, and we tried to peel back some of the unknowns for people who aren't working in the industry. And to do that, we created a set of five kind of skill sets. Um, you know, these range from your traditional owner operator to your uh, laborer in the field, but everything in between, which you don't see on a day to day basis. And we tried to elevate some of these skills transitions within the paper to highlight for the reader. Among the things I found interesting was a few of those groups that may not be prominent in the public imagination. So we have the owner-operator, the classic farmer, uh, we call them the decider, and then we have the laborer, the doer, the classic uh, farmhand, although there's nothing uh, quite traditional about uh, farm workers anymore. The other three groups, the specialists, for instance, are very different to agriculture. How are they going to change things? They're 
going to change things by bringing in different skill sets. Um, you think of the biologist or the geneticist that's working with animals. Uh, that is that interface before you troubleshoot with a veterinarian. You think of um, the machine operator who now has to know software as much as they know how to pull a lever. Um, it's very different type of work. Um, you, you see the advisors now as, a, as one of the biggest segments. Uh, this industry is moving towards more consultants, more financial advisors, uh, more agronomists. And this is a, a, an area of the industry that is ripe for skills transition. So you and I, Andrew, went to a farm outside Saskatoon, and it was really the forefront of technology in agriculture because we watched a dot seeder. Dot is the nickname for Dorothy, the inventor's mother. Uh, and the dot seeder is an autonomous tractor driving itself up and down the fields, planting seeds, something humans used to do by hand, and then humans did uh, operating a machine. Not a human in sight as this uh, device was racing around the field until we saw a couple of uh, software engineers <laughs> sort of run after it with their, with their laptops because they had to adjust the code. And I thought, what, what, what a great illustration of where farming is going, that you've got a software engineer out on a field working with an autonomous vehicle. That's one of the frontiers of the digital revolution in agriculture and where we're going to be seeing more and more of Farmer 4.0. But it's not the only one, and it's not restricted to rural areas. Andrew, you and I also had a chance to visit Back 40 Growers. It's a vertical farm run by Scott Beyer who's growing herbs in an industrial park, believe it or not, in Burlington, Ontario, just west of Toronto. What jumped to your mind, Andrew, when we walked into Scott's operation into an indoor farm? Well, what jumped out to me first and foremost was how urban this workplace was. You know, I'm a commuter. I take the GO train every day. I pass this facility within a few hundred feet. I would never have imagined that this amazing facility existed. So what else jumped out to me was how experimental this was. You know, you think of the traditional farm, you think of row upon row of crops. That's not what you have here. You have row on row of PVC pipe. And it's a purposely driven facility that's a completely new way of thinking about process in the industry. So when you take these two combined of how urban it is and how innovative it is, Scott's attracting a very different type of worker to his workplace. Okay, so what struck me when I walked in was the scent of rosemary. It was overwhelming. It was beautiful. And I expected sort of a uh, kind of an anodyne operation. And it's, it's very clinical. It has to be. But it also just had that literal scent and feel of a field without any of the, without any of the fields. And it's interesting what that does to a person working in it. And I think Scott spoke a bit to that, that he gets to work with plants. He is growing things, which is part of the beauty of farming. You're creating something, but it's also very technological. It's full of engineers and electricians. That's the skills that he needs. So someone who can wire the place, but also has an appreciation of the plant and the beauty of growing something. How are we going to attract people to agriculture who have those twin senses, sense of growing, of nurturing, of developing, which is what agriculture has always been about, literally, and that sense of technology, of creating something from nothing, kind of being beyond nature. Yeah. Well, the educators I talked to across the country kept coming back to this, why people choose agriculture. One, it's a love for plants or animals. It's, it's a way of life. But what they found was on the perception side, there's a lot of negative 
and positive perceptions that are just overlooked. So there's some that are accurate. It's a long work week. Uh, on average, the farmer works about 10 hours more than any other worker in the industry. 10 hours per week. 10 hours more per than week. a typical person. Yep. Yeah. It's hard work. It is, to, despite all the technology, about all the automation, it's still physically demanding work. So those are true and accurate. On the other, on the flip side, what people don't realize is the average farm household has a higher average income than the rest of Canada. And that's something that a lot of people don't think about. But what's different about the farm family is that it's an entrepreneurial environment uh, more than half of uh, farm families supplement their work with off-farm income. And we're seeing kind of a tipping point of farm and off-farm income driving household wealth. So there's a lot of different perceptions of the industry that just aren't true. One of the things that I think is critical about the report is how positive it is about Canadian agriculture. Yeah. If we get this right, matching these technologies of the future, the drones, the self-driving tractors, with these skills that we call Farmer 4.0, there's an economic dividend for Canada. It's like $11 billion. The agriculture sector can be bigger than the auto sector and aerospace sector combined. This could be extraordinary for Canada, not just for the economic benefits to Canada, but to the challenge of feeding the world. And Canada's got to play a leading role in uh, feeding humans sustainably in right. the 2020s and 2030s. Part of the good news is the industry has been one of the most innovative. You know, over the last 20 years, it's seen almost a third of its work workforce just disappear. But at the same time, it's led the entire country. So wait, wait, where did those folks go? Well, part of it, it's shifted. You know, it's kind of the history of agriculture, where over the decades, I mean, since the post-war environment, it's been receding decade over decade, fewer and fewer people. But what's being filling the gaps is two things. We've moved to more foreign obtained labor. Uh, right now, we have about 64,000 temporary foreign workers uh, annually in Canada working in agriculture. And the second part what, is... What, what percentage of the whole workforce in agriculture Well, right now, is it's 17%. Um, so like one in five farm workers in the country is a seasonal worker from abroad. Exactly. And, you know, if we look at that projected over the next 10 years, um, with the changing nature of work, with a lot of uh, the high-end tasks going to uh, the deciders and the uh, um, specialists that we outline in our paper, the growth in the human-related uh, manual tasks, uh, that's the highest growth area that we're seeing. If that part of the workforce is up only supplemented with human labor, we could see the growth of foreign workers take over about 27% of the workforce. That's a huge gain from 64,000 to over 100, 110,000 workers. But this presents an interesting contrast and challenge for the country because, I mean, as you said, we've categorized ag workers and relabeled them. So you have the doers, people who are doing the, the, the manual labor. That's where most of the seasonal workers are. So these are fruit pickers and greenhouse workers, critical but kind of a lower skilled uh, task, which probably over 10 or 20 years is going to be automated. We see this in greenhouses now, which are heavily skewed towards labor. Uh, greenhouses require a lot of people, um, 
but that can be automated. And it's moving that way. You know, uh, we're, we're, so short term, we need lots of people. And these are jobs most Canadians don't want to do. Thus, we turn to seasonal workers from outside Canada. Long term, probably going to be automated. How do we manage that transition? Well, we've seen it in other environments. We've seen it in retail. We've seen it in construction. It's it's a, it's an issue that every industry is facing. It's more acute in agriculture, in part because there's a, a public good element to agriculture that you can't have a production decline from year over year. Food is important to people. You need to have the product. You need to have the output, both for the health and sustainability of our people, but also for our economy. For it's amazing how we take food for granted. I mean, nations through history have obsessed with food security because that's what leads to revolutions. When you don't have a secure uh, or affordable food supply, we get to take it for, for, for granted. And that's probably a bit of a precarious assumption. Yeah. I mean, you look at what's happening in, in some southern U.S. states, whether it be California or Florida, they're uh, perhaps under a more political pressure, but there's a push for more innovation in the sector um, so that you you don't have year-over-year double-digit growth in migrant workers. They have double-digit growth in technology, and that's how they're filling the gaps to create a more sustainable, innovative, and reliable workforce. That's an interesting challenge for Canada because we have uh, a plentiful supply, if I can call it that, of labor and of immigrant labor. Uh, for the most part, that's good. But if we rely too much on labor and don't invest enough in capital over the long term, and we've seen this in other sectors, we become less competitive. And, and, and in the paper, that's what we talk about. We talk about needing to have this kind of long-term vision that, you know, as much of technology is unknown today, we have a good sense of, as we throw out in the paper, kind of what the skill sets of the future are. And that's what we need to plan for today to envision, you know, what that workforce looks like so that we ha can fill this pipeline of people coming through the system. So in 10 years, we're not facing that human resource crunch if technology hasn't caught up. So we, we've called the farmer the future, farmer 4.0. They, 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 they've got to be highly skilled, uh, innovative, rely on diversity more than perhaps a lot of the agriculture sector has done in the past. Diverse thinking, diverse perspectives, which is what leads to innovation, and then critically be data obsessed. The, the, the farmer of the future is a data farmer, uh, and we're seeing this in all sorts of aspects of, of, of farming, which is, is fascinating. I wonder if you can share some of the stories of the farmers you've met across the country. You went to Vineland, for instance. Tell us what you saw there in terms of Farmer 4.0. Yeah, well, one of the cool things about what I get to do is I get to talk to people and talk to people I would never have anticipated I would talk, talk to. At Vineland uh, Research Center, I talked to Tanya Humphreys, who's the chief science officer there. So Vineland is, is focused on helping uh, the horticultural industry innovate. And I wanted to talk to them because in our paper, we identify horticulture and greenhouses as the most prime for this innovation. And what stood out to me was they're talking about robotics, they're talking about seeds, they're talking about irrigation, all these different technologies. What they're having to bring in are diverse skill sets. Uh, for the robotics, they're finding engineers from the automotive industry, um, which, as we know, is, is a sector that's facing some pressures, whereas 
agriculture is at a tipping point for innovation. So Vineland is at this cusp of coming together across the country with um, uh, this new network, uh, a new cluster of uh, automation thinkers, um, which has just received some federal funding to leverage um, the technology to a, a national level but also to bridge that to more students to build more capacity in skills. All that speaks to the diversity uh, that we're seeing in agriculture. It's no longer the, the, the bucolic farmer working on their own in splendid isolation. They're working with community colleges. They're working with labs. They're working with uh, technical suppliers. And you're meeting all sorts of farmers, farmer 4.0s, those different perspectives can be harder to pull together when you're in a remote area. And this is one of the reasons through history that cities tend to be innovation hubs. And it's going to be fascinating in my mind to see how this evolves over the next couple of decades where by definition, by geography, agriculture tends to be away from uh, clusters of people. And yet we need clusters of people to innovate, to come up with those LED lights or come up with new systems that uh, that help Farmer 4.0. How do we bridge that yeah. sort of rural-urban divide? Well, so another fascinating thing that stood out to me was you think of the most remote Industry, sectors of, of, of agriculture, whether it be grain farming or cattle ranchers, you know, those are the two most automated sectors across the industry. And part of it is uh, necessity drives innovation. And if you don't have people, you find ways of working around it. So in those two sectors, you've seen mass amounts of people leave the industry go to cities and not find work, but in the same sense, having fewer people with more uh, um, higher-end skills working with technology to operate these large-scale operations. You know, I, I was speaking with a, a cattle rancher in, in Tabor, Alberta. He's got 25,000 heads of cattle every year that he has to grow from one pound to a thousand pounds before he can sell it. And that to me is just uh, an impossible task as a, as someone who comes from the, the city environment. But for him, you know, he comes from high school education. What works for him is finding people that want to work on the farm. What works for him is finding people that are loyal, that have a diverse skill set. You know, he's got as many people in the office as he does on the operation working with big machines. So it's, it's a fascinating, uh, interplay where we think of, how um, in, in the rural environment that there's been this shift in, in the number of people working, but they're doing so in, with a different level of skill uh, and interfacing with technology. And I think that's where we can see a lot of the, the parts of the sector going. And, and that farm in Tabor, 25,000 head of cattle, how many people? 20. 20 people yeah. to run 25,000 head of cattle, and most of them are in an office. Yeah. What are they doing? In the office. Well, for him, it's uh, 95% of his beef goes south of the border. So a lot of it's logistics. It's managing uh, the, the, the IT systems that are tracking all of these uh, cattle. It's running the books. Um, you know, it, these are not farms. They're not farm 1.0. These are modern businesses, and they operate as such. I, I, I was struck in our report when we looked at other countries, Australia really jumped out for some of the work they're doing in the cattle sector with blockchain. And we're seeing this more and more on farms where blockchain is essential to to keeping track of 
say 25,000 head of cattle or acres upon acres of soybeans, but also helping consumers around the world understand where did that, uh, where did that beef come from? Am, am I sure that, uh, that it is meeting the quality that I demand as a consumer? Or if I'm a soybean consumer in Japan, blockchain authentication gives me certainty or at least just some assurance of, of the quality. And farmers are catching onto this in a big Absolutely. way. Absolutely. You know, I was speaking with some uh, fruit producers in the Niagara region. And when new f food safety regulations come in, you know, there's a, there's a resistance um, potentially to how it may affect your business. But they found a, a way to revolutionize the way that they produce food, um, a, a way to provide more food safety, to provide more information to the consumer about where their food's coming from. And they're building in these systems that, that you know, they have to do for the food inspectors, now putting on their labels to say, this product is certain days old, come from this tree, <laughs> like, it can be very specific. And then in terms of their process management, they're able to track by the minute how many pounds of fruit are going through uh, both their, uh, their pickers, so they can track which tree, which picker, which hands, um, down to which uh, truck took it to the facility, to which bin it's going in. It's fascinating. One of the things that I don't think enough Canadians appreciate is how technology generally is, is a leveler. And for a smaller player, and we're a small player as a nation, it gives us uh, opportunities to compete and, and play with far bigger players. We see this across all, all sectors, but it's really coming to the fore in, in agriculture. You think of all the trade measures that are used against Canada as a little player from you know the, the, the mad cow sanctions to what we're seeing uh, with uh, China and India right now. Over time, technology may help us address those concerns. So we're not dealing with arbitrary, maybe politically driven measures against us. Uh, we can say, look, our, our beef or our uh, canola is up to the standard that the world has set or that our trading partners have, have, have set. Technology will give us that uh, assurance. At our end, that's where we really need those farmer 4.0 to, to thrive because they have to be able to stand up to collectively, uh, and we have to support them to stand up to those other countries and say, look, our, we're global leaders in technology, let's say blockchain, we can assure you that our produce is as good as there is on the planet. Other countries, Israel and the Netherlands are cited in the report, are, are doing that. We're pretty good at it, but we really have to accelerate. Well, I, th I see technology as a leveler, um, both for international competition, but more so for the labor market. Um, when you talk to dairy farmers, why do they choose robot milkers? Because they're tired of milking three, four times a day. They're tired of having turnover of the people that uh, they hire to, to, to do this work. Technology is creating for dairy farmers a more normal work environment, a more normal work week. And in, in some ways, technology has the opportunity to attract people into the sector that, uh, as I spoke about earlier, about the negative perceptions, to reduce those, to find uh, different sources of labor, to find different types of workers to come into the sector as they're perceiving a job, whether I want to work on a factory floor or I want to work in a dairy operation. And, and in many ways, they're becoming very similar and one of the challenges, Andrew, that we've heard about from coast to coast to coast is getting more Canadian youth into agriculture. 
what are some of the barriers? Well, John, the reality is we need them. You know, the average farmer is 55 years old. You think about the economy as a whole, it's 42. There's a massive gap between the workforce. Unfortunately, about 600 fewer youth are choosing the industry. And there's a lot of barriers. That's 600 every year. Every fewer. year, year over year compounding. I, th- I, th- I think the number I saw was that there are fewer 20-somethings going into agriculture this year than any year in history on record. And next year, to your point, fewer still. Capital remains a, a key barrier to attracting youth to a career. Unless you're inheriting a farm from uh, a relative, it's very hard to get into the industry. Another is knowledge. If you're coming from outside the sector, um, it's such a, uh, a specific knowledge set that you need to have to get into, uh, you know, taking care of hundreds of cattle or um, growing a thousand acres of wheat. Um, so skills, capital remain barriers, but they're not overcomable. One of the things we call for in the report, because this is something we heard loudly across the country, is we need a concerted effort, uh, a campaign of some sort to get Canadian youth to think about agriculture as an innovative opportunity for their careers. And maybe it requires living in a rural area. Maybe it doesn't. But this should be among the top choices for any Canadian youth to at least think about uh, when they think about uh, when they think about their future, it's a bit crazy in my mind that uh, it's easier in some ways for a young Canadian to raise, let's say, ten million dollars to fund a software startup. It's easier to do that than to raise ten million dollars to buy a dairy farm. Uh, there's lots of reasons for that, but kind of doesn't make sense in terms of what we're trying to do as a country and where we know the world needs to get to. So how do we how do we do both of those? How do we inspire younger Canadians to go into agriculture, but also ensure that they have the capital and the technology to be that farmer 4.0. In our travels, we saw amazing technologies at play, the dot seeder that uh, we referenced, or vertical farms, or the work that you saw at Vineland, some of the most innovative work in the world in agriculture is going on in, in Canada. But when we looked around the world and saw what other countries are doing, the Netherlands, for instance, they're moving faster than us. And this is a constant refrain I hear in sector after sector across Canada. Uh, we're good, but we're not really aware of how fast others are moving. So how do we kind of up our, up our pace yeah. in agriculture? You know, and it's not just the traditional agricultural leaders, California, Holland. It's coming from our export partners that we're wanting to cultivate these relationships with. It's coming from India. It's coming from China. And more and more, it'll come from places like Nigeria, where population is expected to boom, where the food challenge is as pressing for them uh, as anything else. And what we're seeing, how they're matching that demand is with greater investment in technology. Canada is among the top five in ag tech spending. But guess what? We're only 3.4% of global spending in this space. It kind of echoes back to the, the reality of the R&D ecosystem in Canada, where we are so reliant on, on public resources in agriculture specifically. 90 cents of every dollar for R&D comes from taxpayers. In America, it's about 27%. There's a different shift here happening. If we're going to take seriously the skills agenda, the, the innovation agenda, we have to pair them together to create Farmer um, 4.0. I think it's Dominic Barton who likes to cite the Netherlands as the sort of standard we should shoot for in Canada. They have 3% 
of our arable land and yet produce three times as many agriculture exports per capita as we do. So it can be done. It needs technology. It needs that innovative spirit. It needs an export obsession. Uh, and it needs those human skills that we talk about in the report that make up Farmer 4.0. We've got to encourage more younger Canadians to pursue agriculture, especially, especially innovative agriculture. Great opportunity with Indigenous Canadians. Not nearly enough Indigenous Canadians are going into agriculture, especially at the, the cutting edge of it. And there's a great desire for that. There's all sorts of opportunities. We saw going back to the University of Saskatchewan, some interesting innovations that they're doing to try to enhance on-reserve education in terms of ag tech and uh, innovation in agriculture. Yeah, it echoes to me that the need for a national agenda. This isn't something that you can pit one region or one province against another. There's a national imperative to developing uh, this ecosystem of skills and innovation that will drive us to this future. And that's really the call to action in Farmer 4.0. We are an agriculture nation, always have been. Uh, we're among the best in the world, but the world's getting better at food production. And we have to get better, and we have to get better faster. And to do that, we need these new skills, and we need to integrate these new skills with, with, with other sectors. One of the things I love about Farmer 4.0 is the spotlight that it shines on the cutting edge of agriculture and how this really is one of the most digitally exciting parts of the Canadian economy. And whether we work in agriculture or not, we should all be invested in it uh, as a collective of people to ensure that we're at the forefront of what's going on in the world, that we're helping feed the world, but also enhancing Canada's prosperity by doing that. Andrew, thank you for this conversation and for the terrific work on Farmer 4.0. It's, it's, it's a fantastic piece of research. Where can people go to find out more? If they want to know more, um, the best place to find is rbc.com slash farmer4. And if you want to know more about our Humans Wanted project, which looks at how Canadian youth can thrive in the age of disruption, go to rbc.com slash humanswanted. I'm John Stackhouse. Thanks for listening to RBC Disruptors. Today's episode was produced by Carl Fulton. On the second part of this podcast, we'll be visiting Dairy Dock Farms in southwestern Ontario to meet Farmer 4.0.